What's up, Simple Passive Castle listeners? Today, we are going to be talking about mortgage loans for some of you guys who have rental properties, the turnkeys, or even your primary residence. I think recently or last year, we went to 506C offerings. Therefore, we only allow accredited investors. So what do you do if your net worth is half a million dollars and we've shut your doors on you? Maybe we'll do a Reg A plus offering in the future that will allow non-accredited investors to come in. But at this point on, don't hold your breath on that. For more information, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club and check out the new pet fund there where we're paying investors 12 to 13% monthly based on debt because this is a strange time. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. And we're recording this in January of 2023. And I haven't talked to Graham in quite some time. I think the last time we saw each other was at an event prior to 2019. And at the time, we were still helping out investors pick up turnkey rentals. And we had this program called the Incubator, which if you are a non-accredited investor and you would like to sign up for the club, we'll probably just give that to you for free. It was over 20 hours of coaching calls and I enjoyed doing it. Most of our investors are accredited investors and have moved on. But we wanted to do this podcast for you guys and just catch everybody up real quickly. If you have rental properties or you are a non-accredited investor looking to get a turnkey rental property, what's going on with the mortgage lending world where the Fed is jacking up interest rates as to date 3% in the last, what, couple quarters, just unprecedented. But Graham, why don't you introduce yourself and then your partner there, Aaron, and some of the updates. Thanks, Lane. Good to see you again, by the way. Yeah, it has been since 19, I believe. My name is Graham Porham. I'm with Highlands Residential Mortgage. My production partner, Aaron Stelly, has joined me today and spoke with Lane, I don't know, 30 days ago or so. and said, hey, let's talk about what's going on in the market on the residential side, as well as the, like you say, the turnkey side, the one to four category. It's still a viable category. It is starting off with newbies, as you pointed out. And, but you got to start somewhere, right? And the newbies need to like, buy one to 10 properties. Then they sell it all, do an exchange, and they graduate into your accredited program. It's typically how most people that have gr- grown their wealth over the years is a simple graduation into the uh, commercial end. But uh, we wanted to talk a little bit today about what's happening with the market. Uh, yeah, the Feds have, have done a number on us. They, I don't know how, I think it's six or seven pieces last year on the Fed rate. And the Fed rate's a little bit different from the interest rate. It does have a lot to do with the cost of money. And people say, well, the Fed rate is at this, but that doesn't mean the interest rate is at that, okay? But it has pushed our interest rates up. We're probably, like you say, three points higher than where we were probably this time last year. And uh, has it slowed the newbies down? Yeah, because the newbies, they don't know, okay? They're nervous. They're scared. Plus, they came off COVID 2021 with bottom basement pricing on rates, and they expect to get that again. That ship sailed. It's not coming back, okay? Wall Street is addressing the whole situation, if you will, and the reason being is because back in 18 and 19, we were originating notes at a higher note rate as well, and the guys on Wall Street were buying these mortgage-backed securities, from Fannie and Freddie, and they were hoping to keep them on their books for a certain period of time, say three to five years, so they can make some money. That's typically their MO. But what happened on the 17, 18, and 19 notes, it all got refinanced. And so they experienced a thing called EPO, which is early payoff. 
And the early payoff took the profit right out of the guys on Wall Street. And so they got stoned. They don't want to get stoned again. So they know this inflation that we're dealing with right now is cyclical. Happened back in the 80s and 90s with Greenspan. Now it's happening now. So we are eventually going to run into a recession wall. And when that happens, which say six to eight months from now, the rates will come back down and people that are securing loans today will probably come back and do a, a refinance. And what this one, is this a 10-year? This is just the interest uh, okay, rates. So, okay. yeah. This is a great one. Yeah, this is the interest rates. Okay, and I believe that, all right. But I guess, Graham, once you go over like just a little education for folks, right? You mentioned it earlier, the Fed jacks up rates, right? The Fed rate. But then that doesn't necessarily mean it impacts these rates one for one. Maybe explain the disconnect there just so people can sound cool in front of their friends while they're not doing the stock market so they can explain it concisely or better yet to their spouse so they don't spitter and sputter over their words and say, no, you can't buy a rental property or a syndication deal. Give them the elegant way of putting it. When we have a Fed increase, does it happen? Sometimes it doesn't. You're absolutely right. And there's multiple factors, which I really can't get into because I'm not an expert in that area. But one of the things I can tell you right now is that we have had an increase in rates. We probably topped out pretty well. And I'm trying to see this chart here. I would say probably September was, September, October was our worst months, but it's been coming down since then. And it's been settling out, which is good. And people got to say, okay, what are investor rates right now on a single family residence? They could range anywhere from six and a half to 7% right now. And people go, that's not, that's not healthy enough to give me cash flow. That's true. But as we discussed, Lane, there, we're, the theory of marrying the property and dating the rate is where most of these investors are taking a look at. So I'm going to buy a property. I'm going to yield $150 a month cash flow. But six, eight months from now, I'm going to refinance the same or get that thing more like in $300 cash flow. But they're buying these properties because they're more readily available out there. And they haven't been in quite some time. The inventory has been very scarce. And most of the turnkey providers, as you alluded to, they're doing more new builds because they just are running out of inventory. I don't have any commercial loans or any syndications going in Lena. I'm not the expert in IRS. I stay in my own lane in my own little box. But I do actually have up to 43 properties right now. And I could certainly exchange them all into your program. But quite frankly, I'm pretty satisfied with the cash flows that I'm getting. But right now, I think my advice to people right now is don't get scared by these rates. Anything below 7% is a good rate. I've said that for years. And it's true. The cost factor sometimes has been higher than what we expected because of the appreciations. But those costs are coming back down. Or should I say the prices of those sums are coming back down. We are now in a full tilt sellers, or excuse me, buyer's market, which is good for the investor. If the investor understands that, then they're going to take advantage. As we have transitioned to this buyer market for several months now, keep in mind as a buyer, as you are maybe trying to build your portfolio is now that we are in this buyer's market, we've seen the rise of seller credits coming back. Borrower might not necessarily be happy with their rate at six and a half we'll get the seller to pay it down to 6%. We've seen that just the seller buying down the rate in forms of points for the interest rate. We've seen seller credits making a comeback the past several months. While interest rates are currently nowhere near the lucky area we were at, so to speak, in just the interest rate world during the COVID years, keep in mind there's some more negotiating power that just wasn't there during 18, 19, and 20. So we've seen really that kind of turnaround. And a lot of times that can make or break that deal for the borrower as well, if you know all about that cash flow sometimes. 
That's an excellent point, Aaron. And a lot of the providers, the turnkey providers that are starting to retain more of their inventory than they would like simply because they're, the buyers themselves are a little reluctant to start buying. So they're incentivizing, if you will, and they're providing points. My mission at simplepassivecashflow.com is to help hardworking individuals like you do what I did, which was leave a professional career behind by building an investment portfolio where the passive income exceeded my daily expenses. It frustrates me that there are so many people out there mindlessly investing in the Roth, IRA, 401k, mutual funds, or worse, going through a useless financial planner who is just selling retail and financial products. Here's the problem. There are multiple middlemen taking a cut of your returns, all the while you take all the rest. In our community, we spend a little bit of effort to educate ourselves and build organic relationships with other past investors to source the best off-market opportunities, all while enjoying higher returns and better security because the asset that you purchased is a real hard asset, not some kind of fake stuff like a crypto or altcoin. The trifecta is simple. Number one, syndications to get number two, passive losses to unlock other tax best practices. And thirdly, infinite banking. Join our network for more insider access and educational material at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And also sign up for a free strategy call once you're in there. Enter our ecosystem. So if you did come out to Hawaii on our annual investor retreat, you'd be able to develop those relationships with the right people. To check out future events, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash events. And we'll see you in person. And the reason why they're doing points, not only to help relieve and make the buyer feel better, but... Where we are in today's world, reflecting back to my original statement about Wall Street recognizes that this thing is cyclical. They recognize they're going to experience an early payoff in the next six, eight months. Consequently, they're not juicing the rates like they have been before. I've been at this 25 years. I've always had the ability to do par pricing. Par pricing is a zero point loan, which means I don't charge anything. I don't give any credits. We haven't seen par pricing probably for six months up until probably the last 30 days, but primarily on a 25% down, but not on a 20% down. You're still looking at least a point and a half to two points to do a 20% down because the adjustments are more than double. The turnkey providers recognize this. They say, okay, let's get this buyer incentivized. Let's just pay for those two points. And in the lending world for Fannie Mae, that is capped at two. You can't go any more than 2% on Fannie Mae. The commercial world is completely different. Elaine, you can... Share with me what some of the sellers in the commercial world are doing. I think a lot of, I think in the commercial world might be lagging a little bit, right? You mentioned, you might say, you my guys might be calling it a buyer's market, which is this, but at this point in the commercial world, the buyers are not realizing it's a buyer's market yet because it's based on net operating income, not just comparable sales like how residential. So I, I think maybe traditionally this has been the what the case was and but certainly what it is now right where the commercial world is just moves a little bit slower and potentially lags but going back to the turnkey world their product is not really a a home right it's a turnkey product that provides cash flow and when you add up the tax benefits mortgage pay down appreciation etc you guys know the website simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns where i add up all the stuff on the whiteboard you're making like two to three times greater at least than the crummy stock market traditional investments there i think to the backdate some of the stuff when i was buying this stuff prior to 2015 we would be able to cash flow what like 400 bucks per property with full expenses then that went to 200 bucks in 2019 um, if you guys, this is all new to you guys and you're still in the market for turnkeys, make sure you grab the analyzer. It's old, but it still works. Simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer. 
But nowadays, as the price went up, there was negative cash flow. But silly as this sounds, it doesn't really matter. It's all what's your other, like in a negotiate, what's your best alternative to negotiated agreement, your BATNA. In this case, where else are you going to put your money? You can put it in the stock market where you're going to lose another 10, 20% this year, or you're going to put it into a hard asset, like a semi-negative cash flowing property, like a turnkey, or in this case, it makes sense why they throw you points your way to get your cash flow so they can get their price and run their turnkey operation business. It is what it is, but you as the investor need to make that personal finance decision, what you got in your portfolio and is the turnkey rental or the syndication better than what you got. And that's the name of the game, in my opinion. You know, you have to analyze the market and then you got to pick your poison, okay? Each market has an A, A, B, C, D property, okay? Typically, your A properties are not going to bring as much cash flow because they're newer in a better neighborhood, so forth and so on, whereas the D, C and D properties are going to have a little bit better cash flow because they're a little bit older and maybe in a little bit not so desirable neighborhood. So you can get close to the 1%, and I think we've thrown that terminology around for a long time. 1% rule was something that we all lived and breathed for many years, up until probably, like you say, 19 or 20. And we started losing that 1% because the cost kept going. Yeah, they went to 0.9. And then they stopped doing turnkey rentals in actually decent markets like Atlanta. Maybe you could throw Birmingham in there, which people are probably shaking their head. Birmingham is a decent market. And then I almost fell off my seat the other month when somebody said they're buying rental properties in Baltimore. My goodness, Baltimore is the hood, guys. Like, this is straight up, <laughs> that's D-class war zone properties. But hey, it makes the 1% rule, maybe. Is it, are those properties hitting 1% they're selling out there? No, not quite. It's very hard to hit 1% <laughs> these days. Yeah. If, yeah, if you've been to Baltimore, they, they have these houses called row houses. And if you've driven those neighborhoods, some people that live in a very nice neighborhood that you don't count lane, you're out in Hawaii, people that live in a nice metropolitan area like Dallas or Atlanta, and then they go into Baltimore, sometimes that can be viewed a little bit negatively, but these are older properties. They've been there for very, quite some time. Are they a C and D property? Maybe not, maybe not so much. It depends. I'm not an expert on Baltimore, but we still have a lot of activity in Baltimore, believe it or not. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly far from the days when I think you You've, I think you lended on my, one of my properties way back in 2012 or 13 when I was buying that stuff. And it was a nice, at the time, $70,000, $80,000 property in Birmingham in a B minus area. Today, that would be like 120000 in a still B area. But that's just the best time to buy was yesterday. I think that's the thing that, I guess maybe that's the point we're trying to push home, right? If you're out there doing nothing, you're just sitting on cash. And your net worth is under two to three million dollars. You got to do something with it. Heck, go buy a turnkey rental. Heck, even in Baltimore, I guess. But you got to do something. And this is the name of the game: is get your money working, get it out of the regular stuff. But with yeah, that, I, I'll get off my, I'll get off my soapbox. I guess yeah, I'm, no, I'm mainly okay. talking to the non-accredited guys because you guys got to do something. And you guys, that's where I hear the most excuses from. Well, I'm just going to sit on my money. It doesn't cash flow, you know. No, please do not sit on your money. I'm still actively buying from the standpoint of appreciation, depreciation. I don't think we've all caught up on caught up on that number itself on paper just yet. California and the New England, New York, and all the East Coast, those don't really factor in because those aren't the markets that you and I are in, like Birmingham or Atlanta or Memphis, these type of markets. We haven't really seen the depreciation yet. Now, the appreciation was going up over the last four years. 
but it's now starting to level up. We haven't seen it go down yet, okay? Will it? Probably, but I don't think it's going to go down a lot, to be honest with you. So let's just say investors have their rental properties or maybe kind of getting out of like the turnkey. First of all, if you guys are in the investor club, maybe we can swing it to another unsophisticated non-accredited investor. So make a little PDF flyer and maybe we can move it for you. Sucker is born another day. But what if you people want to hold on to those things because sentimental value, whatever, what are some options that we can do to pull out some of that equity? Because likely if they've held on to the property for a little bit of time, the property maybe went up from 90 grand to now 120 grand. They may, and with their 20% down payment, they may be sitting on 50 grand to 40 grand of debt equity there. What are some options that they can use to, to tap that, that equity? Well, that's exactly what I'm doing. I've got three properties that were new built of 17, I think it was 17 when I bought them. And they built up probably 70, 80 grand of equity. Another property I have in Dallas, they built up about $170,000 worth of equity. So am I cashing them out? Absolutely. Taking my money and going elsewhere. In this case, I'm going back down to Florida. But yeah, you got some, some equity there. You can do it one of two ways. You can get a, ca- a cash out refinance, which is what a traditional Fannie Mae loan will do. And on the single family, you can go up to 75%. On the two to four unit, you go to 70%. But you can also get a HELOC which is extremely challenging right now. HELOCs are readily available for primary residence, which a lot of people still use, especially on the West Coast because they've got so much equity in their primary residence. They are utilizing the HELOCs. But what the HELOCs are doing right now, because the prime rate has gone up, the prime rate is sitting at seven and a half. And typically a HELOC is usually prime plus something, either a half a point or a point. Now you're at eight and a half. Well, if you do a cash out refinance on a 30-year fixed rate, we're still in the upper sixes. So it's a much better bet. Even though you're paying interest on the HELOC, you still got a much higher rate of interest. Yeah. The nice thing about the HELOC is you don't have any costs, but the bad thing is they'll sandbag you on the valuation. So what that means is maybe your property is worth 120 and you have 50 grand equity there. They use their pencil and say, eh, it's worth 105. And then you'll walk and be like, all right, I got screwed there. I guess I'll take it. But you're not going to be able to squeeze the towel and get all the equity unless, like you said, you refinance it there. But that's why we say try and get HELOC first if this is all new to you guys. Get it rolling. Get the money put get into something. Buy rental properties, syndication to you, or make 12% in the PEP fund, something like that. Get it going. And then once you've tapped that initial equity tranche, then you got to get it more of it. Get the, the, the refinance. But Let's just say some invest. Some of my investors, Graham, are semi-active investors. They do syndication deals, and they may go after some of that burr stuff. And what's what are like? You guys have this kind of three-year date date the rate program or something like that. Maybe talk a little we, bit about this. Thing. We actually do. If you originate a loan, say in the next six months with us, and at an elevated rate because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, and it has come down a bit. But we know once it hits the recession, wall, it's going to come down even more. We recognize that. So we want to keep activity going in the investment community. So buy the rate, buy their house today, marry the property, date the rate. Because in six, eight, 10 months down the road, the rates are going to be back down. Give me a call. We'll refinance it. We won't charge you any closing costs and you get your cash flow more in line. So that's something we're doing for a lot of our investors. And is that Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan and who backs that? Is it like a rate cap insurance company? And I guess no. for you listeners, for you new guys, earmuffs on, this is more technical stuff, not super important. <laughs> just my, I'm just, I'm just wondering. 
No, we strictly do Fannie Mae loans. We do some DSCR lending, but the rate is much higher. The DSCR lending back in March of 2000, okay, that's when everybody said, okay, COVID, it's here to stay. And everybody left the playing field, Jumbo, Commercial, DSCR, everybody left the playing field except for Fannie Mae for about six, eight months. And you probably recall this, Lane. And then eventually states started coming back on the playing field. We're starting to feel a little bit of that right now. Some of the capital markets are starting to get a little bit nervous. And I say some of the capital markets, non-Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, which are government-backed, are starting to throttle back. Which, And I've seen companies even go out of business. We had one that we were doing along with just Monday. Can the CEO said, we're not taking any more loans. And they were doing, gosh, billions of dollars of loans a year. And they just decided to stop for whatever various reasons. So it's a kind of a fickle market right now. And some of that will probably affect some of the commercial lending as well on your side. Whether it's got to you at this point, I don't know. But the DSCR lending stuff is they're starting to get nervous. They really are. Yeah, so it, it seems to act really similar to like when we go into one of these, if we do a bridge note, a lot of times we'll buy a rate cap, right? To combo that little bit more risky strategy so that say we buy a rate cap of, we don't want the interest rate to go up more than 2%, which would protect us in this environment where it goes up 3%. And with a lot of that, if my understanding, it's like third-party insurance companies will insure the lender. So it's not the lender putting up the money. I'm wondering, is that kind of the same thing going on? Because it seems a good deal for the consumer, risky for your guys end, because everybody's betting on the Fed raising a couple of times this next year, like a 0.5 and a 0.5 again. And that means interest rates will go up. So that might, I'm sure you've built in some buffer into this three-year date program, but is there like a third-party insurance company insuring the rate jump? Or? No, the program itself is an internal program, Okay. We're willing to take on the expense, if you will, and because our closing costs are nominal. There are $1,300. We're going to waive those closing costs to get you back into a better rate. Okay. We don't have, all of ours are government backed. They're not insurance backed. That's mainly primarily for the commercial market. Fannie, like I say, we were, Fannie Mae was the only people left standing for six months back in 2020. That's the only people that were doing loans. And then they find that started to turn back around and all everybody jumped back in the playing field. But no, we're not insurance backed. Okay. Okay. So insuring it in-house is what I'm hearing. And if interest rates jump another 2% and people actually call you guys on it and refinance or change it, then I guess you'll just work in for free, right? You just originate a loan for free. Everything has a cost and we're going to try to minimize that cost as much as we possibly can. We still want to help out the consumer. As far as your prediction on increasing the rates, I have a strong suspicion that the economy is starting to slow and we're seeing those effects in the rates because they have come down a little bit since probably November and which is good. Now, how long will they sustain there? It's a great question, but a lot of good numbers, a lot of good data is coming in. CPI numbers have been good. GDP numbers have been good. We just hope that's going to sustain itself so we won't have to do any more rate hikes. But once again, I'm not running the administration. Yeah, I'd like to see what's in your crystal ball. The way I see it, the data is saying that we've come up the high of 9.1% inflation. We're now dancing in like the six and a half range. The stuff they've been doing, the onslaught of rates has been working. Not to say it can't jump up for a month here or there or even come down even quicker. But to me, unemployment is still unimpacted at 3.5. That's super, super low. So there's some dry powder there. But I think once we get under 5%, that might be a trigger for the Fed to really ease up on the rate hikes. And I agree. 
I just hope it doesn't get that far. I really do. I think the next 30 to 45 days is going to be interesting. I think they meet. I think Powell's supposed to talk on Friday of this week or next week. I can't remember to give a recap, if you will, of where his agendas are. And I'm hoping it's going to be positive or he's going to say, okay, I'm feeling comfortable with the economy right now. But once again, we have to wait and see what he says. Yeah, I've got a lot of properties waiting to refinance and sell. So I'm chomping at the bit. I'm just maybe a little bit more pessimistic. I like I will hover around this 5% mark and we'll, it'll just be in the doldrums a little bit. At least that's what I'm pessimistically thinking. It'll be like this for another six months to maybe a year. Unless the, I don't know when the next election is, maybe the Congress will get pissed off and tell the Fed that you guys need to stop screwing around with the rates and lower it again. But this is not a politics show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think if we hold on for the next six months, I think we'll start seeing a lot better improvement. Yeah. You know, the next six months is going to be challenging. One topic that comes up a lot from my investors that I'm not a huge fan of is all-in-one loans. You want to define that and maybe let's talk through some of the pros and cons a little bit. As I mentioned to you earlier, we have that available. I do know it's a working tool, similar to HELOC. HELOC's a great instrument. I love it. I, have, I mean, I highly recommend it, even on, if you can get one on an investment property, which is challenging, but on, on a rocky find, you can use it. And I use it all the time. You find a property that you didn't, weren't expecting and you didn't have the available cash at the time, tap in your HELOC, go buy the property, and then pay it back. So it's a working instrument that's very similar to what the all-in-one is, okay? A lot of, you can secure a loan on a primary, or excuse me, on a, an investment property, and let's just say you, the loan amount is 100000 but they give you a loan cap, if you will, for 200000 So you go tap into more equity if you want or pay it down, very similar to a HELOC. I'm not an expert in that area. It's a very complicated product. Actually, I let my competitors run with that one because I stay focused and in my lane on the Fannie and Freddie stuff. But in some cases, it's not a benefit to the client. It's a very narrow niche, Okay. So I wish I could expand a little bit more because I just don't sell a lot of them. Yeah. Come on, Graham. You're the mortgage broker. You're supposed to sell everything, right? No, but yeah. Graham- <laughs> I'm a mortgage banker, just to let you know. And I, I've been, like I say, we did about 100 loans last year and, and all were Fannie Freddie. Okay. So that's 100, 100 a month last year, Graham. You what? I said 100 a month last year, not total. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. 100 a month. Correct. Yeah. So here's my two bits, folks. Like the reason it's not a Fannie and Freddie Mac backed loan, which you guys don't really care about on the interest on the insurance side and in the back end of that's just who holds it. But what that means for you is the terms aren't as good. And what terms mean are rate and other like loan to value essentially in the residential world. But the consumer, it's not really the best option because again, the terms aren't as strong as when you have a one-off loan to a one-off tied to a one-off asset like a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac. And what I see is it's one of those sucker products that mortgage brokers have that kind of, all right, my client is super confused. They don't know what to do. It's hard for them to do paperwork because let's face it's a pain in the ass. And let's just get them into this biggest loan that we have possible. And just that way I can extract my mortgage origination fee and get paid. So we can all, I can have my salary, right? And feed my family. But it may not be the best thing for the investor because now you've given up your flexibility to like selling off one of the properties. You can't do that. You got to sell them all or it's really hard to create a loan where it's peace your ability to sell off individual assets one by one. You're talking about like a commercial loan with release clauses? 
Yeah, yeah, it just yeah. never really happens like that. No, unfortunately, we don't do those type of loans. But I think I'm just and when you talk about this kind of stuff, it's almost, it makes me think way back before 2008 when we had the option arm, which was an excellent instrument that was utilized by a lot of investors. But unfortunately, it was abused by a lot of brokers to get people in houses they couldn't afford. And that's a lot of people blame the option arm because of the deferred interest and all this. And I think it's a fabulous product. I love it. I wish they could bring it back. But yeah. unfortunately, the Dodd-Frank Act will not let them do that. Yeah, yeah. that and interest only 40, 50-year mortgage. Right? Exactly. I mean, and I think that's important to know, right? Because like a lot of new investors, they freak out and they're like, oh my God, there's going to be a 2008 again. Like it's still really hard to get a mortgage. And a lot of you guys are accredited investors, multiple six-figure salaries. And it's you got to show a lot of legit documentation to get mortgage loans, right? It's not the Wild West days of pre-2008 anymore. There's no liar's loan out there anymore. There's no stated income anymore. The closest we come to a stated income is like a bank statement loan. Show me your bank statements because a lot of people, they'll write off everything they can on their taxes and nub down their net income to nothing where they can't qualify on a traditional loan. But so now we go into like a bank statement loan, which shows that their income and cash flow from whatever business they're doing and shows enough to support a loan, which is called a bank statement loan. And we are doing those. Yeah, I kind of almost lost all my hair with this experience a few months ago. I started to look for a house to live in. I still rent, right? Because here in Hawaii or even in California, it makes to me, it doesn't make any sense to rent unless your net worth is two or three times greater than that of your house. You're better off investing your money and actually growing your net worth. But I, I was like, the prices are lower now. It's a buyer's market. Like you said, let me zig when everybody's zagging and buy a freaking house. But then I tried to get like qualify for a mortgage and it was like impossible. First of all, my, like, I don't pay taxes, like, cause my income is nothing because it's all passive and I use passive losses to zero it out. But it, it, like to get it through like a mortgage lender for a primary residence for me, like it just wasn't happening. And I just got really frustrated with the whole system. It's like, how the heck can I not qualify for a mortgage? You actually can on the bank statement loan because you got a lot of income in cash and it's all evaluated from the bank starting to show. Yeah. Up. So we, we did that. So like the bank that we tried, we went down the route of, so I guess this is more for the business owners out there who don't have clean 1099s or W-2s. W-2s. W-2s is the cleanest way. So we went down the bank statement route and they just couldn't make sense. Like the mortgage broker I was working with was like, I'm like, they got befuddled because I had more than like, I got 80 something K-1s and like things coming in my bank account. And they they were trying to make this like spreadsheet with all 80 something of them i'm like are you kidding me? i hope you guys didn't do this i hope you sent it overseas for somebody to make a spreadsheet and waste 40 hours on this thing and it like it was a waste of time because we all know what was going to happen it wasn't going to add up to enough but then they went down the debt service coverage ratio like you said approach but we're not renting it out then they went down the 1099 approach and that didn't add up. That was close. That was the closest thing. But I noticed at that point, I had drifted out into the outskirts of non-Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loans. And mm-hmm. I was getting really horrible terms. And I'm no dummy. And I told them, if it's not a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac, I'm, I don't want to pay these like semi-usury rates. So I told them like, all right, I give up. I'm just going to buy cash with this thing when the time comes. And then it, what I talk about in my next book for you guys who are higher net worth, the ticket for hot multi-million dollar homes is you don't get the mortgage on them because you max out at $800 million jumbo loans. Instead, get the debt on your stock market portfolio or your infinite banking, get the loan there. I'm looking at like 
it with JP Morgan private client, SOFR plus 2%. So right now that's 6.2%, but in normal times or last several years, that could have been like a 2%, 3% mortgage payment doing that type of stuff. But if you have some high <laughs> clients that are with some of the bigger banks in the private banking world, that a lot of times those, uh, those banks, especially if you have a, a lot of money in their bank, they're pretty forgiving. They really are. They definitely take advantage of those. Yeah. What do you say? What's your take on if a guy's buying a, I don't know, three, $4 million house, what is the best solution if he wants to throw on some, any good real estate investor wants to get some debt and not just have it paid off cash, but what, are they just screwed or what's the best? Well, now you fall into the jumbo world and the jumbo world is more critical than the Fannie Mae world, believe it or not. Their debt to income ratios are less. Their credit scores requirements are a little higher. Their underwrites are a little more challenging. Yeah, in those type of worlds, it can be very difficult. It's a lot easier in the Fannie Mae world. So when you get in those higher loans, they're very challenging. Most as most of our stuff and our bread and butter is the turnkey stuff. So a lot of times we don't play in that category as much. We would like to, but it's very challenging. Is jumble jumble loans like over eight five hundred, eight hundred thousand? It varies on the state. Seven, yeah, seven twenty-six two is the latest conforming limit. So seven hundred twenty-six thousand. But depending, especially on the West Coast, different counties, that does go up. It is a sliding scale. But just your standard conforming limit across the US is that seven twenty-six two for a single yeah. family. Median home in Hawaii is like 1.1, I think. But so are the jumbo loans, are they all Fannie Mae, Freddie Matt? Or are some of them Fannie Mae or are they all non-conforming? All non-conforming. Oh, okay. Yeah, like you say, it says that it's a sliding scale, but the general, as you say, 728, 724? Yeah, 726. 26, which is pretty much across the board, except for some of the other areas like California, they have a high balance areas. Key West, Florida, high, very high. One of the things, another strategy that you probably know, Keith Weinhold, he always touts the fact that he bought a fourplex with an FHA loan. And you can actually do that today. And you can actually get an FHA loan up to close to a million dollars, which is crazy in some of these markets. Yeah. Great for the non-accredited guys. We're going to need like damn near 10 of those fourplexes to make a dip in our... Good for our kids, I think, to maximize their debt um, portfolio. Yeah, it's just a bad, yeah, it's just, it's tough, right? When <laughs> I first word problems. But I always tell my guys, get that money working, right? Even, yeah, you, you used to be, you could get a HELOC for 4% and then you put it into something making plus 10%. And now the hard thing is, as you sat around on your butt, now the HELOCs are what, at 6% or 7 right? Sometimes they're Well, the prime is a 7 and a half. And yeah. whatever ad or your bank has chose to give you, that's what you put on top. Yeah. So they're borrowing at seven and now deals aren't as strong. Like the best, the more cons- most conservative thing is that we have is the pet fund making 12%. So 12 minus seven, the spread is five. I mean, you should still do it, but like that spread is smaller. It takes some more conviction and cojones to do what is financially right. And then here I am now I'm working with these debt service coverage ratio 1099 loans and they're quoting me like nine, 10%. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, I should still listen to this guy, Lane, who said, it's, as long as the spread is there, just go for it, 12 minus 10. But I just couldn't do it. Uh, so I I guess that's a confession on my part. It was just that I, was, I got rate shocked at that 10% level for that type of, and I still had to put 40% down payment for that. I want to go right now for a guy in Texas, and he's doing a, he's got a million dollar home. And he wants to tap into his equity. We're doing a half a million dollar loan for him. And he's doing a bank statement loan. But he actually ended up with around seven and a half, which is not bad. 
because he was turned down multiple times because he does his income taxes very similar to you, which he doesn't show any income. So he got turned down three or four times. And, and so we said, all right, let's do a bank statement one, which actually makes sense because he had a lot of cash flow coming in. So it, the bank statements do work from time to time. And so that's that he did what, 50% down payment on that thing? Or how much? We down? do have a 50% LTV, but I don't think it's contingent on the LTV. We could have gone up to 80% if the bank statement income would allow him to do that. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I guess that... This is more advanced level stuff, but at, at some point you guys have to figure out where do you apply the debt? Where's your best source of debt? Is it the home mortgage at 5% to 10% like Graham's saying? Is it in your infinite banking at your it's semi-fixed that that one doesn't fluctuate too much. It's around 5 6% or your security back line of credit at you know 2% to 6% floating in there. And you have these three options. It's like wildcat football again. It's like when we develop a property, we develop it, we keep it, we sell it, we refinance it to hold it short term. We've got three options. And I think that's what where people want to be getting to at some point. But yeah, anything else, Graham, they, for folks still with their turnkeys or with their primary residence to get the equity out? It's pretty much well, the, those the refi, equity right? loans are still available. And once you do get the equity out and you want to invest, and if you still want to do it in the turnkey world, this is actually a pretty good time because the inventory is up. The sellers are starting to see the pressure and they're starting to get more concessions. And even the, sell, the sales prices are coming down just a little bit, not much. But uh, once again, these are for the non-credited guys, not necessarily the type of programs that you solicit. Yeah, and I would kind of piggyback on that, <clears throat> just to summarize. And it definitely seems like a lingering theme throughout this call has just been that a lot of cases, time is the biggest enemy and sitting on the sidelines waiting for things to change. And as you do weigh your options, just keep in mind, like Graham mentioned, Seller credits are out there, a refinance program where we waive their fees. So there's tools, there's benefits out there that can act as that encouragement to help you get off the sideline and keep that ultimate goal of whatever you're working for. Keep that in motion. Don't put it in pause. Yeah. Yeah. I think said Aaron, I think I definitely put on my propeller hat on this talking about secure backline of credits, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, I think so. this is a problem that we have in our mastermind group is like we try to over-optimize things and some of the new people or especially like the podcast listeners would probably be in this realm where you hear this stuff and you just are confused and dazed and you don't do anything. And it's like you're sitting on a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt at lazy equity in your primary residence or 30, 40 grand in your one of your turnkey rentals that you need to get a re-leverage and moving if that's you. That's we're talking to you. We're all looking at you in the YouTube. I like that term lazy equity. I like that. But yeah, once you guys uh, drop your information, just in case people want to rejigger, get some cash out, or maybe go buy the dream home that now is the time to buy it because it's a buyer's market. It's like when everybody's sagging. You can always reach us at 855-326-6802, or you can hit us at the Parham team at highlandsmortgage.com. And my, any one of my teammates will, will jump on it, typically myself.